Good morning. Good to see everybody. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find the book of Ruth. We're going to finish up our study in Ruth 1. Last week, we talked about the first five verses uh, and got a, a bleak introduction to the story of Ruth. Uh, we set the scene as a, um, a pretty, pretty desperate place. You know, Naomi and her family have moved from Bethlehem, the promised land, into Moab, a pagan land. We noticed that for Naomi, after the first five verses, her and her two Moabite daughters-in-law are in a pretty bleak circumstances. All of their husbands have died. There was famine in Bethlehem, and now they're in a foreign place, hopeless. In that culture, uh, a woman without a husband or without sons to protect them and to provide for them was a pretty terrible place to be. And the fact is, Naomi and her two daughters are exactly in that spot. So today, we're going to look at Naomi's return home. She's going back home to Bethlehem. Her decision to return, as we'll see, comes from uh, news that she receives that bread and food have now been provided for Bethlehem. Last week we saw they were in a famine. Now we see that the famine has been uh, alleviated, has been, uh, has been done away with. There's now crops again. So this morning we're going to look at Naomi's return home, the decision of her two daughters, Orpah and Ruth, and the promise of hope for both the broken and the empty. So I don't know about you, but there are times in our lives where, uh, in a variety of ways, mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, we might feel broken. Um, circumstances over the last year have probably uh, done damage to many of us in a lot of different ways. We may feel empty. Uh, we might feel like there's nothing for us to, uh, to give because we haven't received anything ourselves. So we're broken and empty, but hopefully as Christians, we will get to see in Naomi and Ruth and notice in their story that there's a real cost to following the Lord, but also real blessing. So as Christians, what I hope to show you and what I hope to be reminded of as well this morning from Ruth chapter one is that coming to Christ, being broken and empty, following him, coming to him or returning to him from a wayward season of life may cost you a lot but it is worth it. Following Jesus, coming to Christ may be costly, but it's always worth it. So let's read in Ruth chapter one. We'll start in verse six this morning. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. So she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. But Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. The Lord grant that you may find rest, each of you in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, we will return with you to your people. But Naomi said, turn back, my daughters. Why will you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they may become your husbands? Turn back, my daughters. Go your way, for I am too old to have a husband. If I should say I have hope, even if I should have a husband this night and should bear sons, would you therefore wait till they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is exceedingly bitter to me for your sake that the hand of the Lord has gone out against me. Then they lifted up their voices and wept again. 
And Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Let's pray. Oh God in heaven, we're so thankful for another day to gather together as the body of Christ, to read your word and to see the good news of the gospel spelled out for us in such a beautiful story, a difficult story, but a redemptive story. So Lord, I pray that you might help me to teach with clarity and power, and you might help all of us to hear from your Holy Spirit. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So here is Naomi, Orpah, and Ruth. I've heard that there is food now in Bethlehem in the land of Judah, the promised land of Israel, and now they've decided to go back home. And what we'll see this morning is three different contrasts in this story that hopefully will, <clears throat> will speak to you and, and, and cause you to maybe be, be captivated once again at the goodness of God's grace. So if you're taking notes this morning, the first point for us, the first contrast is this, Naomi has been emptied, but God can fill. Naomi has been emptied, but God can fill. We begin our text in verse 6 with a a response, a a revelation of God's grace. So look at verse 6 again. It says, Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return from the country of Moab, for she had heard in the fields of Moab that the Lord had visited his people and given them food. There's four facets of grace we see just in this verse. First, Naomi heard from Bethlehem. She she still has some kind of connection to the promised land, still some kind of connection to the people of God that she's able to hear the news of Israel. Second, she heard that the Lord had visited. Now, sometimes that word visit, you read that in your your Bible, verse 6, that he visited his people. Uh, Sometimes that word visit comes with judgment, right? So he visited destruction upon a nation, or he visited uh, a plague upon a people, Other times, because of their repentance or because of their righteousness, God visits with blessing and with favor. So God is always going to visit, and when he visits, what he brings with him is, in large part, going to be up to the person. Are they righteous, are they faithful, or are they in sin? So he visits his people. Third, the Lord visited not just any people, not just a pagan nation, not just any nation, but his people. Bethlehem's sin that caused them to fall into famine, had not cut them off completely from God's promises. God was still faithful to his covenant people. And fourth, the Lord visited his people with food. The judgment that they were enduring that caused Elimelech and his family, Naomi, Naomi, uh, Malon, and Kilion, to leave Bethlehem is now over. The famine was gone. The house of bread, as Bethlehem is called, that was once emptied by sin and judgment, is now filled once again. So Naomi hears the news. She hears this proclamation of God's favor and his grace towards her homeland. But Naomi was emptied. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. She had lost even her name. As we got to the end of verse 5 last week, it doesn't even say her name anymore. It just says the woman was left without her two sons and her husband. Naomi was empty. There was nothing left for her in Moab. But God, as we see through his visiting of Bethlehem, he is able to fill, he is able to redeem, he is able to bless abundantly. So we should have eyes to see as we're reading this story that if there's hope for Bethlehem, if there's hope for this uh, sinful place, this sinful city, then there's hope for Naomi. 
So Naomi decides to return to Bethlehem. She decides to go home. She rises and heads out, and her two daughters-in-law follow her. And the word, you look at verse 7, she set out from the place where she was with her two daughters-in-law, and they went on the way to return to the land of Judah. Go back one verse to verse 6. Then she arose with her daughters-in-law to return. That word is going to be used a dozen times in the rest of this chapter, and it's really important. Because the, the idea of returning sounds a lot to us like the idea of repenting, right? So when we return, we, we went off a certain way, and now we are coming back to where we ought to be. When we repent of our sins, then, we go off away from the things of God, away from righteousness, away from holiness, and we return back to God's commands. So over and over and over again, we will see in this chapter the idea, the concept of returning. If we can place ourselves in the drama, the three women have risen, left Moab, and are on their way to Bethlehem. They're in no man's land. So just a little bit of a geography lesson for all of us in the room. Uh, there is the, the land of Israel on the side of the Mediterranean Sea. And in Israel, there is, uh, there is the promised land. But on the other side of Israel, there is Moab. So they're right next to each other, these two lands, and they're separated by the Dead Sea. All right, so if you're just thinking promised land, Bethlehem, Israel is right here. Moab is right here where Naomi and her two daughters are right now. And the Dead Sea is what separates them. So as they rise to go back to Bethlehem, they have to go around the Dead Sea. So probably here in verse 8, they're at the bottom of the Dead Sea. They're in no man's land. They're not in Moab, but they're not in Judah just yet. And Naomi turns to them and calls for them to go home. She tells them to turn back. Not to come to Israel with her, not to come to Bethlehem, but to go back to Moab, go back to their country. And her reasons make sense. Right? So we just read that text, but the reasons are, she's looking at Orpah and Ruth and going, you're still young. You lost your husbands, but you're still young. You're still able to have children. You're still able to be a part of a family. I'm too old to be married again. I'm too old to bear sons for you to, to remain in my family. And so he, she tells these two daughters something really interesting in verse 8. She says, go return each of you to her mother's house. Her mother's house. Now, if you read the Old Testament, often, almost always, it doesn't say return back or go to or be a part of your mother's house. It's a part of your father's house. So why is Naomi telling Orpah and Ruth to go back to their mother's house? It's because she's releasing them from her family, Elimelech's family, back to be married out to a new family so that they can continue someone else's legacy, so that they can continue somebody else's name. She's releasing them from any kind of responsibility or obligation that they might feel towards her. She's saying, go back to your mother's house. You're still able to have a family. You're still able to have a future. But if you stay with me, you're stuck. These two young widows refuse. They say, no, we'll go with you. But then she goes to them a second time and insists. She says, look, my biological clock is ticking and your biological clocks are ticking. And so even if I were to have children tonight, if you were to wait for them to be your husband's, you wouldn't be able to have children anymore either. Now, you may think, man, why is it so important that they get married and have children? Well, in ancient Near Eastern culture, and definitely in this, in this Israelite culture, there's this thing called Levirate marriage, where the wife 
of a husband, if that husband dies with no children, there's a law that says that the brother, an unmarried brother, becomes that person's husband, becomes that woman's husband, and if they have children, that son is going to continue the the deceased brother's name. They don't want the legacy of these families to die out. And so there's this law that says if there's another marriable man in the family, then they're going to be a part of that family. You would marry that person to keep the name alive. But staying with Naomi was giving up any kind of future to have a family like that. Staying with Naomi, they would remain empty. They would not become married. They would not have children of their own. They would remain poor and destitute, desperate and empty, just like Naomi is. So in verse 14, we see more weeping, more grieving, because a family is being ripped apart. And Orpah kisses her mother-in-law farewell. And she returns back to Moab. But Ruth clings, literally holds fast to Naomi. It's the same word used of Adam and Eve when they were first created. Orpah is convinced that Naomi is trying to save her. She looks at the circumstances. She looks at the things of the world. She hears the counsel coming from Naomi and says, yeah, it's, it's in my best interest to go back to my homeland, back to my people to start over again, to start a new life, to try to have another shot at, at a future. And there may be a good life for Orpah in Moab. She may have married again. We don't know the story of Orpah. We don't know what happened to her. But we do know this, that a good life in the eyes of the world is a grain of sand in comparison to eternity. And by leaving Naomi as they're walking back to God's people, she is leaving the promise of eternity. She's looking for what is good in her eyes. She's looking for a good life now. And so she's giving up eternity to get it. So we may look at the world to fill us. We may look around and see all of the things that are attractive to us, all of the promises that the world could give us, things that seem to be wise for us to be a part of. But in the end, like Naomi, in this life, or Orpah in eternity, the things of this world will ultimately leave us empty. Naomi went to Moab with her family to try to find food, but she ended up more empty than she ever thought possible. Orpah heads back to Moab to look for a good life in this world, but gives up an opportunity to know the God of the universe. However, Ruth clings to Naomi. She counts the cost of what it means to follow Naomi, what it means to remain faithful to her. And we'll see that in the second contrast. Ruth counts the cost, number two, but decides to remain. Ruth counts the cost. She sees the cost before her, but she decides to remain. Look at verse 15. And she said, See, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. That's important. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to return from following you. For where you go, I will go. And where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die. And there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and more. If anything but death parts me from you. 
Ruth has made a decision. Ruth, this outsider, this one who's heard the same warnings from Naomi as her sister Orpah did. She was a pagan. She was not a part of God's people, but she loved Naomi and she was committed to her. And not only was she committed to Naomi, what we hear in that passage is that she was committed to her God. Naomi tries a third time to convince her to leave. She said, look, your sister-in-law gets it. She's left. You need to understand this. You're, you're not, it's not making sense to you, apparently. You need to go back home. And Ruth says, don't tell me to return back to this place when I've committed myself to you and to your God. God has dealt bitterly with Naomi, and she doesn't want Ruth to continue to suffer for it. So we can get on to Naomi for telling Ruth and Orpah to leave, but in Naomi's mind, she's trying to save them from further suffering. So she tells her to return to her people and to her gods. Naomi thinks Ruth just doesn't understand the cost of following her. If she stays, there's a chance that she will be the forgotten, oppressed foreigner, the poor, hopeless widow, surrounded by God's blessed, chosen people, but an empty outsider forever. Children, a husband, security, legacy, she's giving all of that up if she follows Naomi. But Ruth is determined, and she makes these commitments. She says, Naomi, where you go, I will go. I'll follow you no matter how hard it gets. Where you lodge, I will lodge. I will stay faithful to you and committed to you no matter the circumstances. Your people are my people. This is big. Ruth is renouncing her identity as a Moabite and identifying herself with the Jews. This should clue us into how massively important Ruth's commitment is. Because next she says, Your God is my God. This is the key. Ruth no longer worships Moabite idols, whether Kamash or some other pagan deity. The God of Israel is Ruth's God. She's learned this, obviously, from Naomi's family, but not just things about the Lord. She has learned and knows him. Your God is my God. The God of Israel is her God. Where you die, I will die and be buried. Now, we fail to see the importance of this. I mean, I feel like some of us see the importance of this, still living in Southern culture. But the land in those days was unbelievably important to somebody's family legacy. So if somebody dies, they would be brought back to be buried in their hometown or brought back to be buried in their homeland I mean, you remember Jacob in Genesis chapter 50 was buried with his fathers in Canaan, even though his family had already moved to Egypt. He made his son Joseph swear to bury him, to take up his bones and bury him in the land of his fathers. And then Joseph turned around and made the same, uh, the same agreement, made his brothers make the same kind of promise. He says, you're going to be enslaved, but once you're able to leave this place, carry my bones with you to the land of our fathers to bury me. Ruth here is totally abandoning the way of the Moabites and surrenders her whole life to God and his people. She even uses God's covenant name. Look at verse 17. She says, may the Lord. So in your Bible, it's probably all caps, L-O-R-D. That's That's the covenant name of God, Yahweh. May Yahweh do to me 
And more also, if anything but death parts me from you. She invokes a curse on herself using God's covenant name if she fails to uphold this commitment. This kind of loving, loyal, determined, kind commitment is wrapped up in the word, the Hebrew word, chesed. And Ruth's covenant love for her mother points us to God's covenant love for his people. And as Christians, it points us to God's covenant love for us. Where, he, where we go, he goes. Where we stay, he stays. Our people, it's his people. Our God, his God. He's not going anywhere. If we are in Christ, he is committed to us totally, forever. And we see just a glimpse of that kind of commitment in Ruth's commitment to her mother, Naomi. So we begin to see the foreshadowing that Ruth, although willing to give up everything, will actually receive God's blessing and through her faithfulness will bless her people, will bless the nations. We'll get to that in Ruth chapter 4. Following God may come at a high price, but the book of Ruth will pan out to show us with utmost clarity that following the Lord is always worth it. Look at verse 18. After Ruth has made this beautiful commitment, this rock-solid, faithful declaration of of covenant love for her mother-in-law, this huge commitment to say, I will die where you will die. You'll bury me where you'll be buried. Nothing will separate me from you. Verse 18. And when Naomi saw that she was determined to go with her, literally, she stopped talking to her. (laughs) She said no more. Now that, if I'm reading this story, maybe if you're reading this story, if we're, if we're reading through it together, that's not the, that's not the response I expected. I, I don't expect Naomi to just say, whatever, and like keeps going. <laughs> I mean, you would think that this woman, this, this young daughter-in-law that she loves so much that she wants to have a good life, that she would respond with some kind of affection, some kind of intimate response, some kind of loving gesture, but instead she just stops talking to her. As we'll see in just a few verses, Naomi's bitterness has completely warped her perspective. And she is convinced that Ruth is following her to her own destruction. She thinks that Ruth is making a terrible decision. And so the best that she can do is just to stop talking. And that brings us to our last point this morning. As we read the text together, starting in verse 19, number three, Naomi is bitter, but barley brings hope. Naomi is bitter, but barley brings hope. Look at verse 19. So the two of them went on until they came to Bethlehem. And when they came to Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women said, is this Naomi? She said to them, do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara, for the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went away full, and the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has testified against me and the Almighty has brought calamity upon me? We'll just stop there. So faithful Ruth and bitter Naomi come to Bethlehem. And more than 10 years have passed since Naomi left the land of Judah with a husband and two sons, no less. 
And now she comes back with a foreign woman. And the women of the town are stirred and they look at her in wonder and say, is this Naomi? Now notice in all of the texts that we just read, other than verse 19 where it says the two of them, Ruth doesn't exist. In this exchange between the Israelite women and Naomi, Ruth is never mentioned. It's as though she's just disappeared from the story. They don't ask about her and Naomi doesn't mention her. Instead, Naomi calls for a name change. Naomi in Hebrew means pleasant. You probably have a footnote in your Bible that says something like that. But now she says, I wish to be called Mara, which means bitter. For the Lord has dealt bitterly with her. Specifically, it's not just the Lord, but it's the Almighty in your translations, which is the Hebrew name of God, Shaddai. So we always say El Shaddai. We, we usually never say just Shaddai, but Shaddai means Almighty. And that word, that name emphasizes that God is sovereign and has authority over all things. He is the Almighty One. He has all power, all authority. He controls all things. In other words, Naomi is saying, the one who controls all things has done this to me. What what I've experienced, the suffering that I've walked through, the emptiness that I feel is not an accident. It was on purpose. Naomi knows that all that had taken place for her was not random. But it's left her broken. It's left her bitter and empty and in despair because she went away full in one sense. She had a husband. She had two sons. They were looking for life in another land, but now she has been brought back to God's land empty. And like we saw last week, sometimes this is God's way to produce his image in us. Sometimes God has to wound us. He has to empty us of the things that we hold most dear, the things that may become idols in our life, not to harm us, not to, not to harm our souls, but to actually bring about our good. And so this series of unfortunate events in Naomi's life has brought her out of a pagan land and back into the promised land. I mean, she doesn't have eyes to see that, but when she was off in Moab, she was disconnected from the people of God, disconnected from God's covenant. And although she has been wounded and has suffered loss and is coming back empty, she is nonetheless coming back to the place where she might be redeemed, coming back to the place where she might find real life. And it's brought Ruth into the story, who we will see is vitally important for God's plans, not just to bless Naomi, but to bring about a Messiah. So the passage ends, the summary of the events thus far, verse 22, as well as a wink to the future. Look at verse 22. So Naomi returned, and Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law with her, who returned from the country of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So Naomi returned to Bethlehem, She returned with Ruth, the Moabite, but the harvest has come. Soon, Ruth will be out gleaning in those ripe fields and just so happen to be gleaning in the field of a family member, just so happen to meet a young man who does not have a wife, just so happen to meet someone who would be one of her redeemers. But we'll get to that next week. For now, we need to notice that the abundance of God's grace is right here before us. 
God's covenant faithfulness demands that we believe, demands that we trust that he will not leave his people empty because God is faithful. God will provide. Repentance, returning to him, coming from a sinful place back to a place of righteousness is costly. It's hard. Oftentimes it's painful for us. When you think about your own life and what it took for you to come to faith in Jesus, some of us, we did this when we were very young. We had very few things to be uh, repenting of, although we were still sinners in heart. But others in the room, our story is a little bit more bleak and a little bit more frustrating, a little bit more painful. And for all of us who claim to be followers of Jesus, we constantly live in light of the fact that there is something in my heart that is bent away from God towards sin. And hopefully, by God's grace and by the fullness of the Holy Spirit cultivating fruit in you, you hate that. You hate your own sin. You hate the fact that you often wander away. You're prone to wander from the God who loves us. But God is faithful. And so the The opportunity is before all of us in the room to come to Christ, to count the cost and surrender your life to him. Naomi and Ruth both returned home. I mean, Ruth was born in Moab. She's lived for generations. Her family's lived for generations in a foreign land. But remember how Moab was started. Abraham and Lot decided to go separate ways. And Lot went to a new area. Abraham stayed in Canaan, the promised land. And through sin in Lot's family, the Moabites were born. But they're the ones who left God's promised land. They're the ones who left God's covenant promise. They're the ones who left the one Abraham that God made a covenant with, that through him God would bless the nations. And so Ruth is not just going to Bethlehem. She's not just going to Israel. She's she's coming back. She's returning. This foreigner is returning home. Naomi is returning home. And the offer to come home to Christ stands for all of us. So let me pray. God in heaven, I know, because I know my own heart, I know that there are some of us in this room who, like Naomi, like the prodigal son, God, we know you, we believe in you, and at rock bottom of our souls, our faith is ultimately in your finished work. But we wander. We move from place to place, thing to thing, pleasure to pleasure, object of our affections, one to another. So Lord, we we pray that you might help us this morning to count the cost like Ruth. To say, am I willing to give up status? Am I willing to give up my future? Am I willing to give up my family? Am I willing to give up the identity that I've created to follow you? To get close to you? To receive your blessing and your covenant faithfulness. Am I, am I willing to do these things? God, help us to count the cost and to see that, that anything that we might give up in this life, would it not be returned to us a hundredfold in the age to come? 
So God, help each one of us as, as teenagers, as, as leaders and adults, that there's nothing in this world more valuable than a life that is deeply rooted in your faithfulness and your love. So God, help us to come home. Help us to turn from our sin once again this morning. Help us to search our own hearts and confess the allure and attractiveness of Moab in our own day, the world. It's real, but it pales in comparison to the offer of eternal life. So God, help us to see the gospel as valuable, to see your union with us as a treasure that we should hold dear. We ask all this in Christ's name. Amen.